0: If you have your Bibles and want to turn there, we are in Galatians. And the reason I tell you, we put all the scriptures on the screen. We, we make sure that you can see the Bible. The Bible is very important to us. It's the word of God. But it is so radical, this message of the gospel and who you are, that you want to check it out for yourself. So we have Bibles in the back for free. You can grab one on the way out. Um, if you have your Bible want to follow along, we are in this amazing letter to the Galatians. And... And we're kind of walking through, so we're picking up right in the middle of a chapter, and that can be a little hard. So this is the verse we ended in last week. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's us. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is uh, receiving the promised spirit by faith. Really, if I was going to be real with you and me, I could say my entire life is a struggle to actually believe that we receive the Spirit by trusting as opposed to doing. I so want to prove to God that I have done it, that I am worthy of receiving what He actually has already given me. You may be the same way. That That's a huge reality. It, it, it's like, you know, I'm... I'm a dad. My kids are growing up. Some of you guys are behind me and you got little kids. Some of you are ahead of me and you got grandkids. But I'm in this stage where I don't really care if the room's clean anymore. My kids' ears perk up. <laughs> <laughs> what I care about and what I love is when I get time with them and they're, we're in the living room and I sit on the couch and she kind of puts her head on my shoulder or we just have this heart to heart talk about life. And I can see that my kids lean on me. They trust that I'm for them. They know that if something goes wrong, they can tell me. I long for that. This heart-to-heart that a dad has for his kids. And you know what? I, I can't imagine, I know that it breaks down right away, but I can't imagine my Heavenly Father isn't the same. Like, that he doesn't have this heart that we might lean on him. That that we might know that he loves us, that he cares for us, that, that, that I'm cared for and he's got me. Instead of so often I feel like he doesn't, you know, like bad things happen. I'm like, well, God's hurting me or disciplining me or doing something bad. We need more of this. This reality that our Father has actually done way more than we could ever know and is for us right now. Our Savior has secured right, right a life that we can't even imagine, and and often we, me, uh, we run around acting like it's not true. Or maybe it'll be true, possibly if I get it all in a row, you know. And, and this is because I don't listen to the scriptures. For me, anyway, I uh, wasn't trained to, I I wasn't looking for it so one of our jobs has been to go through the Bible verse by verse to take all these books and show that it's a message about your Savior who adores you and in Christ you've been given by promise the most greatest gift you can ever have oh, forever that you're free I want that for you, that rest you know, hope assurance that you have it every breath your whole life long in Christ, who is our Savior, our Messiah. He has us in this life and forever. So, so, so what keeps us from this kind of settled trust? That's been the question that Paul is hitting, this assured confidence, this sort of leaning on Jesus, this trusting in the Father, this, this sitting down in that living room with him and knowing that, you know, he's got you. What keeps us from it? And so often what it is from well-meaning Christians to try and put you back under a system that might keep your eyes on you and your performance. Keep the rules. We know, we talk about it a lot here, but, 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 but today particularly, Paul's talking directly about some of these things for you and me. So, so the way that many Christian teachers miss the mark, they pull you astray, is by misunderstanding the law of God, the law. I've had so many talks to different people through the years about this. In my Christian walk, maybe you have two, or maybe you're like, what, the law? Well, the law has nothing to do with my daily life. It's thousands of years old. But the law is a system by which you keep relationship with God. And it's in the Bible, so it's the highest thing we have. And, and, and Paul has started this chapter, chapter 3, right, right? oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Well, the bewitching was people coming in with a view of the law. The law of God, you know, do these things now to keep relationship with God. And and, and, and so it's really important that I, in walking with Paul, that wants you to see the Old Testament rightly. <laughs> this is huge. Super important to go through this, that the Old Testament makes sense to you. You open it up with joy. See, we have a relationship with God, but but it's a relationship by promise. This is so huge, I can't even hardly say it enough. I'm not even sure it makes sense to you that I say that. So, so this is what we're going to do. You're, we're going to talk through this as Paul did in Galatians 3. And so this is family by promises first. So if you have your Bibles, look with me. This is what we're talking about today. It starts in verse 15. To give a human example, a human example of what? Of you receiving the Spirit by trusting Jesus. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Okay, we're starting here, but you should be like if you're just joining with us this morning. What in the world? What does this have to do with anything? Okay, so take as stipulated for you and me this morning as we begin our talk through this amazing passage to free you, understand that what he is saying is a contract, once it's made, can't be just willy-nilly changed by one side. That makes sense, right? Once I write down my terms and you write down your terms and we make a contract and we say what it is and we sign at the bottom, then then we need to do our respective parts. That's all. That's a human example. Treaties, contracts, covenants, they're, they're those things. That's all that means. So when they say what they say and you sign it and that's the agreement. So nobody can change it unilaterally. That doesn't happen. Think with me about covenants of God that we know. Like there's the Noahic covenant. Remember, God promised to Noah that he wasn't going to flood the earth again. And so guess what? We've never had a worldwide flood again. God promised David there would be a, a one of his, his uh, line on the throne forever. And, and we have the son of David who is Jesus Christ who's on the throne forever. God does what he says, right? These are the covenants. But but the main covenant, the main agreement ratified in the Old Testament upon which everything else is built in terms of the story is a covenant with a guy named Abraham. So we've talked about Abraham a little bit already in chapter 3, but over and over in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 17, it's talking about how God made certain promises to Abraham. Right? So so look, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Okay, This is talking about how God took Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you, you'll be the father of many nations, I'm going I'm, I'm to give you a land, I'm going to be your God. And he gave it to Abraham and he gave it to his offspring. Now, I know how you take that because I do too. I go back and read it. We'll look a tiny bit at this just so you get a flavor. But, but here's the thing is I think, well, Abraham was a long time ago and his descendants are the Jews. Paul, what are you talking about? This is actually really important for how you think about everything because he says it doesn't say and to offsprings. He's talking about the noun that's used there. It's a singular noun. But uh, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is a radical understanding of what's going on in Genesis. I, I actually can't, it's even hard to understand. What, what? Not hard to understand what he's saying. What he's saying is when God made that Crazy, amazing, Abraham was asleep, promised that Abraham would, would bless many nations, that, 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 that God would be his God, and he promised. And he promised it to Abraham, and he promised it to his offspring. And the offspring, he says, isn't all the Jewish nation. The offspring was Jesus. Why is this so important, Dad? Why is he? Well, follow along that he's saying the promise of God was to Jesus, right? That's what he's saying in this text right here to your offspring. It's like God is speaking to Messiah. He's speaking to the Christ. We know the Christ is Jesus Christ. That's Him, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, and came down and died on a cross for you and me. This is the reality of what the Old Testament is about. Why is this important so much? Because Abraham got this promise from the God of the universe, and his offspring did too, that God would be their God, that God would be their father. And, and, and we seem to fixate on the promises given later, way later. What does it mean? A little look. Well, I'm, first I'll give you an example from Genesis 15. This is God who puts Abraham to sleep and then gives him a vision, so God's doing it all, and he brings him outside and says, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And he says, so shall your offspring be. And, and it says, Abraham believed Yahweh and he counted it to him as righteousness. Well, wait a minute, offspring? Is he just talking about tons and tons of people? And Paul's saying, no, offspring there is singular. He's talking about Jesus. And in Jesus, there will be like the stars of the heaven. This is a radical thinking. Don't just say, oh, okay, whatever. I'm just kind of confused. I'm going to let it go. No, no. What he's saying is in Christ is everything. Okay? Or he says in, in Genesis 17, he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you. This is God talking and to Abraham and your offspring after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. I will be your God. Who gets that promise? Abraham and his offspring through all the generations. And I know I want to read this. You know how I want to read this? Abraham. And then Abraham's kids, Isaac. And then Isaac's kids. And and, and you go right down the line. You say, and and even to today. But Paul says, not me, Paul says, no. No, 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 no. Abraham and Jesus. say, well, but it says all his generations, Dax. Yeah, you know, Jesus isn't dead he still has holds that promise that God will be his forever God you know, why is this important? because it's not you having to do anything it's just talking about the promise of God to Jesus Christ Okay, are you with me? This is Paul's argument. And then he's going to go here, back in Galatians, verse 17. He says, this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. This is the Bible, you guys. This is the word. What is he saying? He says, okay, 430 years after this promise that God makes to Jesus comes the law. The law didn't change the promise. Not even a little. Like, like it didn't somehow, because when the law came, it's a conditional thing. It says, if you do this, then you'll get blessed. If you, and, and, and so the, and the, and guilt, shame, sin. Why? Because now we know we're not doing the things God told us to do. My relationship with God all of a sudden seems like it's more based on the list of what I did or didn't do than it is about the promise that God made to Jesus. There's going to be two whole different kinds of relationship presented by the Bible, and you cannot say, he says, this is Paul talking, you cannot take the law and bring it back to the promise because it doesn't modify it at all. The promise is to Jesus. And your behavioral stuff that God set up so that you would show that you're sort of in the camp didn't change a thing. And in fact, being part of that was the sign of circumcision that we're doing away with hold on to me if this is if this seems complicated keep going make sure you see what he's actually saying all of it right all the story I love the stories Isaac meeting Rebecca by the well or Jacob wrestling with God or joseph being sent down to Egypt to to, to, to and, and saving his people even though he was a slave and the Lord used him and how cool that God has this story. The story's always been to, to, to fulfill everything in Jesus. In Jesus, that's the promise. The promise that we receive, we receive directly through Abraham's offspring. Who's that? Jesus. Everything by promise given way before the law. And the law came and it didn't modify the promise. Like, okay, maybe you get it if you keep the law. That wouldn't be by promise. It would be by work. And and that is the law, right? I'm talking about the law of Moses, the Mosaic Covenant, the Ten Commandments. All the rules and regulations they did to show they were set apart. Those were given by God beautifully to them. Underneath it, around it, the foundation of it was this promise. That's to Jesus. And our connection is directly to the promise, not to the law. The Old Testament narrative that's being sort of fulfilled starts in Genesis 3. Remember, they got kicked out of the garden because the, the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, be, because they wanted to be like God. They wanted to know the difference between right and wrong. So they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they were not to eat of. And, and so they, there they are. And, and so now they realize, oh, no, shame. Oh, oh, oh no, comes in because I've got to cover myself up. Because I know it's wrong that I'm this way. Instead of trusting in God. And so there's this whole curse. And one of the curses God gives to the serpent, he says this. Well, <coughs> doesn't say that. It does say that. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Offspring again. Who's it talking about? Jesus. The one who will win and crush the head of the serpent is Jesus Christ. And so the story has been about that from Genesis, the very beginning. Our sin, God's rescue plan. I don't want to miss this verse. If the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Do you see what he's doing? He's making sure that you know your relationship with God, daily living, your understanding of, of, of who God is towards you and who you are in the eyes of God is entirely based on the promise God made. It comes by pro- If what you say is it's dependent on me improving me, and me making sure that I do the things that I need to do in order to sort of like maintain goodness in God's sight You've left the promise. You're trying to get it by the law. And it doesn't come by the law. It was given to Abraham and his offspring Jesus by a promise. We, Paul says, are children of promise and not of law. And you say, whoa, 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 whoa. I kind of hear what you're saying, Dax. This is radical. I don't know why we don't hear more of it. But what about the law then? And because, I'll I'll tell you, you walk around and people get confused and they're trying hard and they want to take the law high. And so what they try and do is they try and make the law eternal. The law is not eternal. The Torah is not eternal. Well, how can I say that with such dexterity? How can you just say that so confidently? Because the Bible says it. That's why it's very important that you see it. God doesn't save you in order to do the law. Your life doesn't become about checking that out. No. So what's the purpose? Law has purpose. It's amazing. It's awesome, right? You've heard this from us, but hear what Paul says to make sure you hear what the Bible's saying. Here it is. Why then the law? That's our question, right? That's a great question. Yeah, why the law? Can we just get, no, it was added because of transgressions. Transgression to sin, those are bad things you do. Until the offspring should come. Let me say that again. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. That's a very long phrase to say what till Jesus came to the cross. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now it's talking about the law back then you go, like, "Whoa, wait a second, what's all that?" The main thing that's going on here is is he's saying how the promise is different than the law. But the law was necessary for so many years because from, from the time that God brought the people out of Egypt until Jesus came, it's like 2,000 years. 1,400, 1,500, I, I won't quibble with you an extra 100, 200, 300 years or so. But all that time waiting for the Messiah to come. And, and so under this becomes this cage, this limiter, because people are so bad. We've got to prevent you from harming your neighbor too much. And we've got to keep you knowing that you need a savior. You're not your own. That's what he's saying, right? In fact, man, it's going to be so cool because God made the promise to Abraham and to Jesus. And then Jesus is going to speak directly to you. As opposed to the law, which he says was given to an angel and then angel to an intermediary, Moses. And then Moses gives it to the people. So there's like two parties, God and the people, and Moses is standing in between, kind of making sure everybody understands, and you don't have that. You just got Jesus. That's what he says. Look. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. Oh, this I just want you to see, this is, yeah. This goes along with how the New Testament talks about the law. The law comes in so that you know what sin is. It doesn't come in to cure the trespass. It doesn't come in to make it so that you can now stand before God holy. It doesn't come in for that. This is Romans. Romans says the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, means we have another way to deal with sin than with law-keeping. Right? We, we know this. I, I hope you know this. This is Romans 5.20. The law was put in place through angels, that contrasts to the promise given directly to Abraham. There's some references to this in Psalm 68 or Deuteronomy 32. We won't dive into esoteric. You probably are already, Dr. Swanson, you're in the weeds. This is not the weeds. This is how you're going to live your life. And it says the law, the law just shows you you're a sinner, whereas the promise is directly to Jesus, and you have been put inside Jesus. Because he says there in verse 20 of Galatians chapter 3, now an intermediary implies more than one. That's Moses, God and people trying to reconcile them. But God is one. There's only one God and he's dealing directly with you. And and so, so he asks this question about the law, but, but this is a takedown of the, of the laws, the eternal way to God. It's it's not, not to start, not to keep, where children promise This means we trust. So is the law lame, like horrible? So he asks that question. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Like, is the law just Ten Commandments? We should be burning it? What's the deal? Certainly not, says Paul. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. The law is amazing, and if it could give life, then that would be the way. It's not the way. Why? It can't give life. All of the rule keeping, all of the, of, the, of, the, of the rules that you try and follow, you may yourself give yourself a pat on the back, but the actual thing is more like a baby crying. It is. You can cry a little more, amazing, Josh and Destiny, beautiful baby. But I'll tell you what, the law never says, how fabulous, what a beautiful baby. The law always says, stop crying. That's the law, right? But it, it says it can't give life. It says, but Scripture, the Scripture, I'm not saying but, but the law back there. No, the Scripture, God's Word, imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. <laughs> this is so radically cool, you guys. You should memorize this verse. The scripture, the Torah, the law, the story that people want to be taken out of context. What they want to say is this is the way to relationship is the law, the eternal law of God that now you do. And he says, are you kidding? It imprisoned you under sin. How's that? It inflamed sin. You you all know this. What I use is a silly example, but you can use a hundred more complicated and good ones. But the silly one is a speeding sign makes you want to break it. I see 60, and I look for the cops. I go 65. Okay, 75, but don't tell anyone. I think that's not reasonable. The highway's clear and open. I, I, I know better than this silly sign, the sign they don't even know. There's no kids around. I can go fast as I want. It inflames me. And, and, and not only that, it makes me look at me, and now I'm instead of receiving the wonder of God for me, I'm receiving shame and guilt and all this garbage. It's all based on what? I should be a good lawkeeper, and this imprisoning under sin is—it's highlighting it, but not giving me a way out. That's why we say the law always accuses. This is the lex semper accusat that famously Martin Luther said. I want to give you a quote from him. From Galatians, Galatians commentary said, "Therefore God must have a mighty hammer, the law." To crush the rocks. When a man has been brought to nothing by this pounding, despairs of his own powers, righteousness, and works. He will, in his terror, begin to thirst for mercy and forgiveness of sins. (laughs) So I came to Jesus. I don't know about you. I was lying on my bed, and I'd been to Sunday school, and Sister Hope had, had, had shared with me how I was going to hell how horrible it was to not keep God's rules. And and, and I knew it in my heart that I wasn't who I should be. And I was terrified. And and, and therefore, I I said, Jesus, help. I didn't really know what I was doing. That's a terrible place to stay. It's a place to start. Why is it a place to start? Because it's true. The law reduces you to nothing. But that's not the end of the story, right? That I can't do it is a precursor to somebody's done it for me. Not, not, not that the, 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 I can't do it is a precursor to with a little help from God, you'll be able to. That's terrible. So the law is not against the promise. It would only compete if some people got into a better relationship with God by keeping the rules. If somebody got into better, like, oh man, I read my Bible every day, therefore I'm closer to God than you. Well, that would be something. I love God, better than you do. Therefore, God is closer to me than you. I'm his favorite kid. Okay, now you're in danger of a lightning bolt. But we, we, we kind of default to that kind of stuff. It's really sad. The law is not against the promise because it doesn't compete. Nobody gets to God through the law. It just shows you you can't so that you're open to receive the good news. What's what's the good news? It's this promise by Did you see? It's right here in 22. So the promise, by trusting in Jesus, might be given to all those who believe. Just trust him. It's so awesome that I think it's too easy. But that's what the Bible says. Life in Christ. Let's talk about it because he does, it says there, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So this is again the same thing we've already talked about, is that before Jesus came, there's only the law, the law, the law, which showed you you're, you, you're not who you should be. There's ways around, to goes gracious, the law was. There were sacrifices you could make, you could have a repentant heart, you could do all these things. But the relationship you had was, was one where I, I'm... I'm not good enough. Until what? Until the coming faith would be revealed, until Jesus came. So, so then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Okay, we've heard this before. Teacher, sometimes people say, a, a schoolmaster school kind of idea. This guardian, a warden, Keeping things limited, keeping things in control, keeping you low, keeping sure you don't, don't kind of mess up too bad, you know, that you know it's always going to have to be by faith, even though right now you don't see it. But then came Jesus Christ. And that's what he says. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Again, I, I can't emphasize enough the importance of this for your life. You are no longer under a guardian. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit. That's the Bible. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So directly, now, and this is actually so critical. It's like, see, my, my thinking that I thought, what I thought, I used to think, was there's Abraham, and God gave this promise to Abraham so that through him, all of his kids, that as they went down, his line, and you could enter into his line by getting circumcised or by doing the law, you could come be a part of Abraham if you just did the things God wanted, and then you'd be okay. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that, that's not right. This is it over here. You have Abraham and his descendant, Jesus Christ. And then you are God's if by trusting what Jesus did, you are inside him. You are in Christ. That's just trusting in what Jesus did. That's nothing else. And he says it in a couple of ways to bring it through. We're God's children through trusting Jesus in him. That's what we do. This is communion, taking him in. This is baptism, this image of us going down with Jesus in his death and being raised to life. And that's that's what he uses. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. One of the worst twists that people do right here sometimes are I put on Christ, so now I'll go be like God. What are you taught? That was the whole thing we got rescued from. This idea that you're gonna be like God. You're in Christ. It's the sweetest thing ever, and, and, and it's the most common reference that Paul makes to being a Christian. Christians use like two times in the New Testament, but in Christ, is like 150. You're in him, united. You've put him on. He's yours. He's your God. He's your hope. He's everything. That's why he says... There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. He's saying all these, like, differences we want to make. These, these Someone's higher than someone else, and someone's lower than someone else, and, 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 and perhaps it's, it's what, what background you have. You're more religious, you Jew. Or, or maybe it's, it's, it's that you are more economically advantaged, like God blesses you because he blesses, obviously, the marker blessing is you have money. Or or maybe it's the gender thing, you know. In their society, men had more responsibility. So it's all nothing. All that matters is Jesus. We're one in Jesus. This is huge. Why is this huge? Because if we're all one in Christ, the question is, how did we get there? And the answer is incredibly important for your daily existence. It's right here. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. This is the great good news. Nothing matters except this promise that we're one in Jesus. It's like Ephesians 4, he's going to say it again, right? There's one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. He's talking about there's just one way, and it's by trusting that Jesus has done it all for you and me. And particularly that is not going back to the law as a way to maintain relationship with God. So there's not a kingdom to advance. I always laugh at well, I'm advancing God's kingdom. How? You think God can't advance his kingdom? He needs you? No, God makes a kingdom in Christ. And it's by promise he gives that to you and me. I, I, I'm, the, I'm the kid sitting on the couch, leaning on my dad saying, Dad, I can't believe how awesome you are for me. And my father's like, yeah, I'm pretty awesome. Because he is. He adores you. He adores me. How do I get this again? You get it by promise. Because that promise was made to Jesus Christ, the offspring of Abraham, who still lives. And that's why, and we read it in John 6 this morning, did you hear it? Where Jesus says, I'm not going to lose a single one of who the Father gave me. Anyone who looks on the Son and trusts him will have eternal life. Unbelievable. No, the promise of God. Who are you going to believe? So I, I want you this morning, my heart this morning, is you might have steady assurance, you might have solid hope, you might you might rest, and our rest is in Jesus. I, I, the, the image as I close, I mean, I think of it like I was so dumb. I didn't do this, But but, but say I was in my house and I left my gas burner on, which I've done before. And instead of smelling it, something sparked and my house went up in flames and I got burned and I'm in the hospital and a phone call comes in and it's my friend Joshua. And Joshua says, hey, you know, why you're in the hospital, I've rebuilt your whole house. It's all it's all redone. Your pets are okay. Everything's good. Everything's awesome. I say, wow, that uh, I can't hardly believe that. I'll pay you back. No, you can't pay him back. Did he really do it? That's the thing that I start. Did he really? How did he do so fast? And and, and I want to help because I'm a helper. So I'm going to crawl out of the hospital room, hang up the phone, crawl out of the bed, take out my IVs, and I'm going to run back and make sure that something happened and see if it really happened. And and and, and I'm going to not really think. He's, I'm going to redo it myself. Welcome to the people and go back to the law. Instead, Yeshua actually tells you, "I've got you, all the way." Yeah, you messed it up, you sinner. But I'm not just restoring your house. I've built a new place for you. I adore you, kid. I've got you forever. Do you trust me? I know you don't deserve it. Not about deserving. It's about me treasuring you. This is the message from the Bible today for you. I want that rest. That we say, ah, I know I'm not who I should be, but I trust in Christ that I'm clean, I'm pure forever. I want to think that way about my spouse. I want to think that way about my kids. I want to think that way about my church family. I want to think that way about everybody. Who says, Hey, the way is to trust in this amazing Jesus. Would you listen to the scripture? The Old Testament is a story. It's it's cursed in the garden, our desire to be like God and a promised offspring would come and God was working. His promises given to Abraham. A people was started. The law was keeping them aware. They had no hope in themselves. Their behavior shows it off all the way through. Kings, Chronicles, you look at it until the offspring came, our Savior, and accomplished what we never could and he looks at you today He treasures you, not for what you will accomplish, not not because you're a tool he can use, not because you're a law keeper, but because you're his treasure. The law is not eternal, and it's not for you to earn kudos from God. That's what the Bible's saying. The law is to show you your continual need for forgiveness. The relationship you have is with God in Christ. God's promise to his son through Abraham. We are part of a huge story. So, so so, what does that mean? Receive it. Oh, be free. Actually have rest. I've done it, says Joshua. It is finished, says Yeshua. Thanks, Jesus. Can't believe it. And I have the spirit in me now. I don't see it. I don't feel it. But I know it's true. And he will bear exactly through you what he wants. Eternal life, life right now, forgiveness, freedom, rest in Christ. Let's be in him.